right, Victory Church. Man, I can just keep on singing with you guys all morning. I love that. And uh, everything that we do is an act of worship. Every single thing in our lives. Um, it's not just the music, it's the sermon, everything that we do. And uh, I just love worshiping with the body of believers that, that gets that, that loves Jesus, that loves each other. So thankful for you guys. I love you guys. And as we dive in here, um, I ask you guys, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were just like walking around aimlessly? You're, you're just like wondering, okay, what am I doing or what am I supposed to be doing? Or, or where am I going? Where am I supposed to be going? Or what's the purpose behind what I'm doing or where I'm going. Many of you are thinking, do that to me every day. You're like reading my mind right now. You know, that's, a lot of times we'll kind of feel like this. It's almost like being trapped in this big, dark room, especially if it's a room you've never been in, and you're trying to look for the light switch, and you're, and you're just wondering around, like, am I even remotely close to where I'm supposed to be at? I have no clue. And that can be especially hard early in the morning when you're half asleep, half awake before coffee. I know many of you know what I'm talking about with this. That's especially true. That's me every day, every morning. I am not a morning person at all. I honestly, I'm just confessing. I'm being honest. I hate mornings. I absolutely hate mornings. I mean, my idea of hell is honestly having to be in this constant early morning state with no coffee, being told I have to fold laundry all day or worse for all of eternity. That would be horrible. It would be horrible, okay? I know a lot of you have that picture in your mind. I'm sorry, but that's, it would be horrible. But here's the thing. Luckily, Luckily, God has given us a flashlight of sorts. Given us a flashlight of sorts, and He's shined it on our path, the path that we can take and follow it to our destination, the path that we can take to follow it to our vision. The big idea today is vision is our destination, not a statement. Vision is our destination, not a statement. Today, we're going to be diving into this topic, this word vision. Um, what does this word mean? What, what is it all about? Why is it important for me personally? Why is it important for us as a church? We're going to be kind of diving into this topic today um, as the name of the sermon. I mean, the, the, it's all about vision, Vision Sunday. So at the end of the sermon, we're going to be actually unveiling the vision that we have for this church, this new vision and kind of the things that go along with it. So if you were new here, it's going to be a little bit different than the typical sermon um, but we're excited about this. We're praying that God is going to bless this. So before we dive any deeper, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us, the fact that we have hope, freedom, and redemption because of what you've done. God, I pray that you resonate that into our hearts and our minds and you help us to live out our lives in light of that. I, I thank you so much for this family that you've given us. God, I pray that you give us one heartbeat, one mindset, one, one vision that we move forward to. I pray that you help us to move forward towards you, Jesus, with this vision, with unity, with community. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take over, that you flood this environment, that you take over this sermon. I pray all these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what is a vision? What, what is Vision. vision can be defined as a foreseeable future reality. A foreseeable future reality. It's also been defined as the bridge that, gaps, uh, that goes from the present to the future. The bridge that goes from the present to the future. And a lot of times people will live out their lives kind of uh, you know, setting goals and trying to accomplish different goals. You know, from one goal to the next goal to the next goal with no vision. 
with no vision at all. But here's the issue with that. Here's the problem with that. See, goals are only meant to be stepping stones to get us to an end goal. When you don't have an end goal, you are just aimlessly pursuing all of these goals with no end goal in mind. See, the end goal is the vision. Vision is the end goal. And for us as Christians, with vision, with God-given vision, it's not about what we want. It's not about what we want to happen, how we want it to happen. It's all about what God wants and what God wants to happen, what he wants to do in and through our lives. And God-given vision should always be centered on Jesus Christ. should always be centered on Jesus Christ. And there's a couple of other things with God-given vision that it needs to do. For one, it needs to edify the church, which simply means to build up, to encourage the church. Because as a community, as a community of believers, the body of Christ, as the word calls us, our job is to point each other to Jesus, encouraging each other, loving on each other, sacrificially, pointing each other to Jesus and encouraging each other along the way. And the other thing that a God-given vision should do is to bring glory to God. Bring glory to God. That's what a God-given vision does. It's been said that a man without vision is a man without a future. And a man without a future will always return to his past will always return to his past. Guys, we were not created to live in the past. We're not created to live in the past to think about what could have been, what should have been, how good the past was, how bad the past was. We were not created to live in the past or be stagnant. We are created to live lives where God works through us and he breaks chains in our lives and other people's lives around us. We were created for the God of the universe to work through us, to start revivals, to bring heaven to earth right here, right now. But that is only possible Whenever we strive for Jesus Christ, we can't keep our eyes focused on the rearview mirror in the past. We have to keep our eyes focused towards Jesus Christ and the vision that he calls us to pursue. We have to keep our eyes on him and move in his direction. God-given vision, it's not this, this new thing. It's not this new fad either or anything like that. This is seen all throughout the Bible. All throughout Scripture, God is giving vision. All these different, from the beginning to the end, all these visions that he gives. A, a few examples, Abraham. Abraham was given a vision. He, he was told that he was going to be a father of many nations. The thing is, this was before Abraham had a single kid. He didn't have any children, and his wife Sarah couldn't even have kids. So what is that? That is vision. That is vision. David. David was told he was anointed king. He, he was anointed and told that he was going to be king. And this was when he was a kid. He was a shepherd. He was a kid. I mean, his dad didn't even bring him in when Samuel came to anoint somebody king. He didn't even bring him in. They had to go out and look for him. And there was a king in place at the time. It was Saul. What is this? It's vision. It's vision. Peter. Peter was told that by Jesus, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. The thing is, this happened before Peter would later deny Jesus, deny even knowing Jesus. After he lived with him for three years, after he saw all these miracles that we read about, all these miracles that we don't even know about, after all of that, he would deny Jesus three times. Before that ever happened, Jesus said, Upon my rock, I will build this church. I will build my church. What is that? That is vision, a foreseeable future reality. It's all throughout Scripture, guys. It's all throughout Scripture where God gives vision. But here's the thing. We have to step in the direction of Jesus. We have to follow him towards this vision in order for that vision to become a reality. And I want to kind of dive into this a little bit deeper. Again, we're going to, kind of, we're going to break this down, go into the Bible, and then after that, towards the end, I'm going to make you wait till the end to reveal 
the vision that we've got. So let's, let's dive into this a little bit more in the Word. Uh, I want to dive into the story of Moses. The vision that God gave Moses and the Israelites. Okay, let's check this out in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know that their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusite. So what do we learn from this? First off, these guys are horrible at, at names. It's like, I don't know what's going on with all of these crazy names. It's a, it's all over the place. But the, the second most important thing that we learn from this is God has given vision here. He's told them two very important things. Two main things. The first thing is the fact that he would deliver them from Egypt. These guys were in, were in bondage. They were slaves. They were being kept against their will. So God said that he would free them from Egypt. The second part of this vision is the fact that God had a land for them, a home for them. I've got a place for you. I'm going to free you, and I've got a home for you. It's going to be yours. The Word tells us that it's a, a land flowing with milk and honey. So in other words, it's going to be awesome. It's this home. It would be theirs. They could grow old together, and God had this for them. This is a two-part vision that God has for them. And then God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Therefore go, don't miss that, therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See guys, in order for a vision to become a reality, yes, it requires movement on God's part. God does the majority of the moving and working. But here's the thing, when we are saved at salvation and through the maturity process and we give us this vision, God doesn't say, hey, I got this. Just be as lazy as you possibly can. In fact, don't even breathe too hard. Just lay there, just go to sleep until I come back until you get to heaven. That's not what happens. God says, okay, we're going to do something here. Get up, get off your butt, let's go. Move in my direction. A mustard seed of faith will move mountains. Not a mountain that's moving a mustard seed. God will do the majority of the work. He will make things happen. We give him the inches, he makes miles. But here's the thing, we have to give him the inches. We have to move in his direction. As so many people get stuck here too, they think, you know what, I'm just waiting on God to move. I'm waiting on God to do something in my life. I'm waiting on God to do something in my situation. I've been praying and I'm waiting on God. Here's the thing, God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you. We talked about this a few weeks ago, to wake up, to get up, and to move with eager expectation for him to do something because he is, he's a loving father, but we have to move towards him in his direction. Give him that inch of faith, and he will make miles out of it. Now, we talked about a good portion of this story, the beginning part of it last week, where um, God asks Moses, he tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh, tell him, to let my people go. And I'm not asking, I am telling you to let my people go. So we see this account where God, um, talking through Moses, he, they go back and forth with Pharaoh. And it, it goes on for weeks, all these different plagues that he sends. Pharaoh's constantly saying, no, there's no way. I'm not going to let your people go. It finally gets down to the 10th plague, which is just atrocious. God is just telling this guy, I'm not asking you, I am telling you, you're going to let them go. So after this 10th plague, Pharaoh is fine. He gets the picture. And he doesn't just say, hey, you can go. He's like, get out of here. Get out of here now is essentially what the text is telling us. And so they're free. So what's happened? This vision, this two-part vision 
that God has given, the first part of it has, has come true. They have stepped into a reality now. Because what's happened is they are free. God told them that he would free them. He would redeem them. He would free them from Egypt. And that has happened. That's where the story stopped last week. But we didn't continue on in the story. I want to continue on with the second part of this story. Just a little bit of it today. So what happens? These guys are free. They're going towards the second part of this vision, which is this land, this home that God has for them, flowing with milk and honey. It is incredible land, this home that God has for them. And what we have to understand in this story is it was only supposed to take about 11 days for them to get there. It was only supposed to take about 11 days. I don't know about you, but if I just saw all these miracles, I mean just incredible things, not just the plagues, but then he parts the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? If I just saw that one thing, I'd be like, God, I'm yours. Oh, my goodness. Just that one. They saw so many. And, dude, if that were me, I would be sprinting towards this promised land. Like, that is mine. I don't care what we conquer. There. I don't care what's there. An army, whatever else. God is going to deliver us. That is our home. That is our land. But what happens with these guys? What happens is an 11-day journey turns into a 40-year journey. Now notice, I didn't say an 11-day journey turned into a 40-day journey. That would be bad enough. I said an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year-long journey. What in the world happened? Let's check this out. Exodus 16, verses 2 through 3. It says, The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Now hold up. Hold up here again. These guys have seen miracle after miracle after miracle, supernatural, I mean mind-blowing stuff. The kind of stuff that if you saw one of them, a lot of people, it would just change them forever. If they never saw another miracle, they'd be okay, right? Miracle after miracle after miracle. They get to this situation. They're going towards this promised land, roughly an 11-day journey. They get to this point. They're out in the middle of the desert. They, they're like, we don't have food. We haven't fed food for a little bit. And they start kind of internally freaking out. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, okay? When the, the word tells us that they were grumbling, they were complaining, that doesn't mean that they were kind of worrying a little bit like, okay, we don't have food. God, we need food. We're really hungry. I'm a little worried about my family, but I know that you, you've provided in the past supernaturally, and I'm praying, God, please provide for us supernaturally. I, and God, I believe that you're going to do this. We need food. Please provide for us. That's not what happened, okay? That's not what happened. That's what God wanted them to do. He's a loving father. He wants us to ask, and then he'll bless us. That's not what happened. These guys had completely lost all trust, all faith in God. All faith, they completely lost track of the vision. There is a land a few days away. It's right there. It's yours. God has done all this stuff supernatural. You don't think he's going to give you some food? Are you kidding me? They completely lost all trust, all faith in God, and completely lost sight of the vision. Now, this is only one example of what happened. We're going to kind of quickly go through this story, but... When you go back and you read that account, and I encourage you to do that, what you're going to find is this kept on happening with these guys. They kept on grumbling. They kept on complaining, saying, I wish we were dead. You know, just crazy. 
And one of the most amazing things about this story is through this account, God, he, he continues providing for them. He continues to provide for these people. They're only in this situation because of their own sin, because of what they've done. I mean, that's the world itself. It's, it's not because of what God has done. It's because of what we have done. He doesn't even need to be doing this. But he continues, even through the grumbling, the complaining, miracle after miracle after miracle. They lose trust after every corner. But he continues to provide. He continues to provide and he gets them there, grumbling and complaining and all, right outside this promised land. Right there. So God tells Moses, hey, send some spies over to this promised land, because I want you guys to check this place out. Okay? Send some spies over there. Let's check this out. This is in, um, let's see here. All right. This is in Exodus getting there. <laughs> Numbers 13, 1 through 2. All right. Numbers 13, 1 through 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. So these men, they go out, the, all these scouts, they go out to, to check out this land, to see what's going on, to scope it out. And they've been instructed to go scope it out to bring back this information about what um, they're about to step into, what the Israelites are about to step into. So they go out, they check it out, they come back. So let's check out what happens. Let's check out what these guys say. First of all, we're going we're gonna to hear one account from this guy named Caleb. This is in Numbers 13, verse 30. It says, Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. I love this guy. He gets it. He trusts God. I mean, he went there, and yes, there is an army there. Yes, it is a little, you know, scary. But the thing is, they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. This is their land. Caleb knows that. He trusts God. He sees the vision. He's ready to go. He's like, well, what are we even waiting for? Let's go right now. Caleb and Joshua is another man that gets this. Joshua ends up becoming one of the greatest uh, um, warriors in all of the Bible. It's just an incredible story. I encourage you to read the book of Joshua. And the other two that get this is Moses and Aaron. So four men get this. Four men trust God after everything that he's done. They have no reason not to. <laughs> they trust God, and they have not lost sight of the vision. They're ready to go. They're ready to take the land, because guess what? That land is already theirs. It's already theirs. All they got to do is step into it. But let's keep on reading in this story and see what happened with these other guys, the other scouts that went out there to check out this land. This is in Numbers 13, 31 through 32. It said, but the men who had gone up with him, with Caleb, responded, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. They said, the land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. So these guys, these other scouts, they completely lost trust in God. As soon as they saw these, these other guys, this army, these, these guys that were bigger than them, looked stronger than them, they completely lost all trust in God. They completely lost sight of the vision. And they're telling the whole community, all these Israelites, about this. So let's check out what happens because of the repercussion of what they've done. They've lost all faith in God 
And they've completely lost sight of the vision. They've told this whole Israelite community. In Numbers 14, 1 through 2, it says, Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Guys, these people are right there. They are right there. All they got to do is step into the promised land. It's already theirs. It's already theirs. God's going to deliver it to them. But they have completely lost all faith, all trust in God. They have completely lost sight of the vision. And after all of this, again, God doesn't even need to be doing this in the first place. All these things that he's doing, they completely lose all faith. All the time, after every corner, it seems like they lose faith, they lose track of the vision. So God is fed up with these guys. He's fed up. He's like, these guys will never, they, they will not believe. They have no faith. So in Numbers 14, 30 through 32, God says, I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. I will bring your children whom you said would become plunder into the land you rejected, and they will enjoy it. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. And then lastly, in Numbers 32, 9 through 13, it says, The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the whole generation that had done what was evil in the Lord's sight was gone. 40 years. They were right. There. They were right there. Everything that God had done, they completely lost all faith in him. All faith. Lost sight of the vision. And the repercussion was total chaos. Total chaos. Wandering in the desert for 40 years until the majority of them died. These guys were so focused on themselves. They were so focused on their own agendas Worrying about, you know, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. We don't have this or that. It's, it's hard. You know, well, what are we going to do here? After every corner, every little thing, no matter what God had done, after every little step, when something got just a little bit hard, just a little bit hard, they would completely lose faith in God and trust in God. Guys, we do the same thing. We do the same thing, don't we? All these little things that happen in our life. It doesn't matter what God has done in the past. As soon as we hit a hard spot, all of a sudden it's as if he hasn't done anything at all. It's like, who is this God? I don't know. Regardless of the fact that he saved you, he's redeemed you out of these different spots in your life, we just completely lose track of God. And we're so good at blaming God for the situations in our life, for the, the, the negative effects that happen, the repercussions of the sin and the brokenness. Guys, God is not the reason that there is sin in this world. He's not the reason that bad things happen. God is the reason that we have a hope, a future, and, and an eternity with Him. God is the reason that we have love in this broken, evil place. God, Love is not defined, or God is not defined by love. Love is defined by God. He is the very essence of of love. God is the reason that we have love, that we have hope, that we have a future, that we have been redeemed. The best way, the quickest way to see somebody that has been a part of tearing this world down and the sin and the repercussions that we see around us is to find a mirror. 
It's not God, guys. God loves us. Because of him that we have a hope and a future. This is why it's so important to, when God gives a vision for, for a whole body to come together in unity. For a whole body to come together in unity. Because the thing that the enemy wants to do, he wants to cause disunity. Community, the definition of community is with unity. With unity. Satan knows if he, if he wants to destroy a family, what does he do? He tries to create animosity between the husband and the wife, right? If I can separate them, I've got he does the same thing in churches. He wants to creep in, cause disunity, disharmony within churches. And it's just these subtle little things that we kind of give into, that we allow to come up, we entertain in our lives. And all of a sudden, well, you see so many churches, so much disunity in, in churches. It's so important for a church to go in one direction with one heartbeat towards one vision, chasing after Jesus Christ, sprinting after Jesus Christ towards the vision that he gives. Now again, a vision can be described as a foreseeable future reality. A foreseeable future reality. But in order for that vision to become a reality, there's a, fir- there's a few things that we have to be willing to do. In order for the vision to become a reality, there's a few things that we have to be willing to do. First, we have to trust God. We have to trust God. And not just in the good times when it's easy. When it's easy to trust God. When he's giving us all these blessings like, yes, this is awesome. Keep giving this. This is awesome. That's when it's easy. I'm talking about in the hard times. When it's not easy. When it seems like the world is falling in around you. When you don't have answers. In those times, especially in those times. Claiming the name of Jesus, the gospel message, and what he has done for you in your life, even through that brokenness. That's what I'm talking about. Trusting God in the good times and the bad times and the in-between times, always. Always. Especially in the hard times. Second, we have to come together as a community. We have to come together as a community again. The enemy wants to come in. He wants to cause disunity. He wants to break People up, marriages up, families up, you know, uh, churches up. Yes, overall, we, we do have that future with Jesus Christ and eternity. When you're saved, you are saved. When your name is in the Lamb's book of life, it is there for all of eternity. It cannot be erased. But here's the thing. He can cause this unity. He can create hell on earth for you, for, for your relationship, for your marriage, your situations, for your church. And that's what he wants to do. We come together as a community. We're going to dive into that a little bit later, a little bit deeper. Third, we have to move towards the vision, both individually and collectively. We have to move towards the vision, both individually and collectively. Key word there is move. Again, God does not save us, does not open our eyes and then, you know, bring us through the spiritual maturity process and just say, be as lazy as you possibly can. Just go to sleep. It's okay. No. He says, wake up. Wake up. Get up. Move. Move. I've got blessings for you. I want to use you. I want to do some things in your life and through your life. But we've got to move towards him, towards Jesus, towards the vision that he has. We want to see that transformation happen in our life, in our community, and in the world around us. We have to move towards him. In order for this vision to become a reality here at Victory Church, it requires us to trust God. It requires us to come together as a community. 
It requires us to move with eager expectation towards Jesus Christ, towards the vision that He's given us. That's what this requires. That's when this vision for Victory Church becomes a reality for Victory Church. I want to kind of transition here. We've We've talked about what vision is, what, why it's important, why it's important for us individually, why it's important for us as a church. We've kind of dived into the fact that it's seen all throughout the Bible. But I want to transition here and talk about the vision that, that God has given us. And I want you to know up front that this is, there's been a lot of prayer that has gone into this, a lot of seeking God, um, a lot of, amongst several of us as leadership in the church, not just one or two, several of us. Um, getting wisdom outside wisdom as well. So a lot has gone into this. Um, we're really excited about this. We really feel that this is um, a vision that God has given us for this church. Um, so before, I, before we reveal what the vision is, I'm going to keep you waiting a little bit longer. I want to go over, because the vision is the end goal, I want to go over the goals that get us to the end goal. Right? There's got to be goals that get us to the end goal. If you don't have goals to get you to the end goal, then what's going to happen is you're going to have this end goal. It's going to feel daunting. Like, how in the world do I get there? And it creates chaos because you don't know how to get there. And all of a sudden, all these people, too, have different ideas of how to make that happen. So there's goals to get to the end goal. These goals, we've named them building blocks. Building blocks. There's four of them. So with our church, everything will move towards through this vision, towards this vision, and the four building blocks will kind of help us to get to the vision, help the vision to become a reality. So I want to kind of break these down. Again, this is a little different than our typical sermon. So if you are here for the first time, a little bit different. The first building block is worship. Worship. So with this, um, everything that we do in life is called to be an act of worship. Everything that we do. And as Christians, one thing that um, we really struggle with at times is separating spiritual things and spiritual places with secular things and secular places. So, for example, we'll go to church, say that's a spiritual place. We'll go to work, and we'll say, okay, that's a secular place, so we've got to act differently there. And we do that all throughout our life. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. That doesn't exist for us as Christians. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. God is everywhere. When God opens your eyes, the Holy Spirit comes in. What happens is God is in you. He is living inside of you. So everywhere you go, no matter what you are doing, God is there with you. God is there with you. Everywhere you go, God is with you. So everything that we do, everywhere we go, we should be doing things as an act of worship for God. And that's what we long for here at Victory Church. That's what we're striving for here at Victory Church. But you got to start somewhere. A lot of times we'll forget that, especially with new believers, um, it, it, people don't understand those kinds of things, and you have to kind of move into those kinds of things. It's that maturity process. There's a lot of people that have been Christians for 50 years that don't know this, don't know how to do this. So we learn how to do this by coming together collectively on Sunday mornings, worshiping together on Sunday mornings consistently. And through that, it's not just worshiping here. We need to worship everywhere and everything that we do. But this kind of helps us to learn how to do that. So we, we want to be consistent with this. And we encourage people to, um, before we move to the next building block, which is discipleship, we encourage people to come to plug into the church for five weeks. The reason that we do that is because we want people to understand what the vision is. right? Not just to come to church. We want, we're more, we're not numbers focused we're transformational focused right and so we want people to understand what the vision is and so after coming for a few weeks you're able to pray through that and if you feel like god is leading you to make that next move 
to that second building block. It's discipleship. And I'm really excited about this. Discipleship, what this consists of is a class or a life group um, called Discipleship 101. And we, we've kind of, it's a four-week long um, life group and no more than about an hour and a half for each one. And what we're doing is we're wanting to take people through a class to go over a lot of different just foundational truths. We've tried to gear this towards not only new believers, but also people that are mature believers. Things that, you know, it's good to be reminded of and maybe think areas that you haven't dove into that much before. I mean, it's amazing how many people that have been Christians for years and have never taken a spiritual gifts test. Don't even know barely, you know, who the Holy Spirit is. You know, don't, can't even define the Trinity. Or, you know, how to read the Bible. I'm going to tell you a story about this really quick. So, I, several years ago, I knew the word pretty well, but I was still kind of in the beginning of that really living in abandonment for Jesus. I was saved, but I was really living, trying to live in abandonment for Jesus. And I was learning more about the Bible, but it was at the beginning. This was before I kind of went to college and learned more about it too. And, and uh, so I, there was this guy that I was able to lead to Christ and... and um, he was on fire, man. He was on fire. He was wanting to dive into the Word. He was wanting to learn more about the Bible. And he asked me, okay, what is the best book to start with? What is the best book to start with? At the time, I kind of had some ideas, but I didn't know exactly. By the way, if you have that question, it's John. John is the best book to start with. Um, and if you want to know more, I'd love to talk with you about it. But So I didn't really know. I, I went and asked this guy that was a leader. He had been a leader in this ministry for years. This, he was an amazing guy. You would love him. He, he had so much love, and you could see it. And, um, and I love this guy, but I'll never forget what happened. I told him the situation. I told him what was going on. I was like, okay, what would you do in this situation? What's the best book to kind of help take this guy through? And his response to me was, I love God. I love his word, but I really don't read it that much. I'm really not sure. Um, I'm probably not the best person to ask. Probably not the best person to ask. I don't want that to ever happen here at Victory Church. I want us to be a people that understands what the Bible is, the history, and how to read it. Context is key. All these different things. Who the Holy Spirit is, the Trinity, who God is, what the gospel is, the fact that everything in the Bible points towards the gospel. That is my heart for this, and our heart for this as a leadership. And so I'm really excited about this, about Discipleship 101, because that's what it's going to be able to to help us dive into a lot of those different things. Um, and, and as we, I want to say this too, as we move through these different building blocks, it's not like you go from worship to discipleship, you're stepping out of worship to discipleship. We're learning to do how to do all of these things consistently, how to live out these things in every area of our life as we go through it, okay? So after discipleship 101, moving to the next, the third building block, which is community. And with community, this is where We've already started to engage with Community Discipleship 101, but what we're doing is we're diving in on a deeper level, on a deeper level. The new commandment, uh, uh, love each other as I have loved you, you also are to love each other. And Jesus gives this commandment in light of the fact that he's about to go to the cross. So the love that he has for them, what is that? That is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. And he calls us to sacrificially love each other. And that's what we're going for with this, doing community together, doing life together with unity, sacrificially loving and serving one another. And that's what we're going for with community here. And at this point, too, a lot of times people will come to church and it's kind of, um, you know, what can this church do for me? But what we want to encourage people to do, especially when they get plugged into community, into a life group, um, is to be active contributors 
to the cause here at Victory Church, to what God is doing to the cause, you know, volunteering, whatever that means, whatever God puts on your heart. And that's what we encourage people to do um, here with community. And the fourth, the last building block is missions. And we want to be a people that is constantly on mission, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption everywhere that we go, living this out as a lifestyle. And then on top of that, with the life groups, we want to actually have different little mission type things that each life group does, engaging in missions, engaging in mission projects, and then also as a church, engaging in mission projects. So that's kind of those four building blocks. And again, everything, every building block there, it's, it's living it out. It's not like you're moving from one to the next. You're living it out. And when you get to that last one, you continue the process. Because guess what? Our, 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 our sanctification process, that process of growing closer and closer to Christ, it never ends. It never ends. We are constantly growing closer to him. So all four of these building blocks, they help point us to, help us get to the vision, help make the vision a reality. And the vision is a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. A community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. So the last thing I want to do, I want to break down this vision for you. So the first thing is community. Again, with community, we crave just that sacrificial love, the new commandment. What Jesus commands us to do, sacrificially loving and serving one another, actually joining together with unity as the body of Christ, his church. That's what we're all for. That's what we're moving towards. Community. Unity. Together. As the body of Christ. The next part of it is authentic. A community of authentic. There is such an incredible need for authenticity. In a world that is ruled and dictated by uh, just hedonism and just relativism where there is such a, an identity crisis going on. People don't know who they are, where they are, where they're going. There's such a need for authenticity to take the mask off and for Christians to step up and not be ashamed of the gospel. And not be ashamed of the gospel, that authenticity. Taking the mask off and being real with each other. The community of authentic... All right, and the next part is spirit-led to a community of authentic spirit-led and a lot of times in life people will be led by different different things and churches will be led by different things so it might be tradition a lot of churches they'll elevate tradition to the point of the word the point of bible or or even above the bible and so what they're doing is is everything flows through this view of tradition rather than through christ the bible Right? Or, or, you know, people that want to be culturally, culturally relevant. We want to be culturally relevant here, but here's the thing. We, we want to stand firm on the Word of God. We don't want to compromise our beliefs for that. Right? And so everything that we do, we want it to be filtered through God, what He wants us to do. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit, whatever He wants to do. Okay? It's not about our time frames, what we want to happen, our agendas. If God wants to come in and wreck our time frames and our agendas, then we want Him to do it. Because it's all about him. This is his church. We are his people. And it's all about him and what he wants to do in and through us. So we want to be spirit-led. A community of authentic spirit-led. The next part is Christ followers. Christ followers. Everything in this church, in our lives individually and in this church, is start and end with the name of Jesus. He is our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. He is our provider, our focus. He is our everything. 
If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have a gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. It is all because of what Jesus has done. He is what this vision is centered on. To a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers. The last part is transformed to walk in victory. Transformed to walk in victory. So we don't want to be a people that just reads about the Bible, talks about the Bible, you know, talks about what God has done, talks about the gospel, talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We want to be a people that actually engages with this, a people whose lives are actually transformed by this, a people that actually want God to work in and through our lives. They're transformed on a consistent basis, aren't just you know, content with where we're at. We want to keep on striving for Jesus Christ. For him to work in and through us, for the Holy Spirit to bring revival and evangelistic outpouring right here, right now. That is what we long for. And that's what we're moving towards. This is our vision. This is our end goal here at Victory Church, to be a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers, transformed to walk in victory. Transformed to walk in victory. Worship team, I want to I go ahead and invite you guys up. Guys, we're not waiting on God to move. God is waiting on us to move. He's waiting on us to move. He's waiting on us to wake up and to move with eager expectation for him to move in and through us. He's given us a direction. He's given us a vision. And now he's waiting on us. Guys, rather than being a people that live stagnant lives, live, live radical lives. Let's live in an abandonment for Jesus Christ with an expectation for him to move in and through us. And guys, that's when even the gates of hell cannot stop the revival and the evangelistic outpouring that will happen in us and through us, individually and collectively as a church. Moving towards Jesus Christ, sprinting towards Jesus, towards the vision that he's given us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done in our lives, the redemption that you've given to us. I pray that you help us to never lose sight of that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just flood our lives, that you use us. Help us to live in abandonment for you. I pray for one heartbeat, one mindset. For this whole church, I pray for unity, for community. That we strive for you, that we strive for this vision, God. I pray that this vision becomes a reality, not only in our lives individually, but then collectively as a church. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.